We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel, and two of my favorite guys from Nets Twitter, Matt Brooks and Nolan Jensen. Guys, how we doing? I'll go first, since Nolan's being polite and Canadian. Um, I'm good, man. <laughs> <laughs> Very unbranded Nolan right there. I'm good, man. I'm chilling. Uh, just, you know, it's been a busy week, which is like, how rare is it for these times <laughs> to feel busy all week? But yeah, I'm good, man. You know, same, same applies for me. Like, I've been so unbelievably lazy the last six weeks, and these last couple of days have actually been, like, moderately productive. So this, this semblance of structure has been nice. You know, it's been better. Yeah, we've got the United Nation of uh, Nets Twitter on. I like it. I like it. Let's get it pumping. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, you can find the show on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But today we're doing a season review of Karis LeVert, my guy, and before we get into some of the details, let's get a quick review of last season. How could you summarize last season for uh, Karis Nolan? Ooh, me right out the gate. Last season, um, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like this season where it's with Karis Avert, you know, um, unfortunately, the durability hasn't quite been there yet. He's had injury, you know, issues that's followed him all the way back to college. So it seems like any time he picks up, you know, ahead of steam, gets some momentum going, something terrible happens. 
And with this year, injuries have obviously played a huge role in his, you know, overall production. He's only got to play 39 games last season. He only got to play, what was it, like a hint over 40. And then he picked up momentum heading into the playoffs, which is nice. But it's kind of in the same breath as this season, where it's like the consistency, unfortunately, hasn't quite been there because of, you know, plaguing injury issues. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to echo that. It, it was a weird kind of. A tough Karras year. Uh, largely the same season as last year. Uh, he, he actually came back from injury a little bit quicker this year, um, just in terms of, like, his play. Last year, I mean, he, he came back from injury, what? It was uh, it was against the Bulls. I'm trying to remember. Was that a January game that he came back? When you guys will hopefully be able to help me on this. but I believe um, February, I, but I'm not February, 100% sure. It, you know, it might have been February 5th or something like that. It was, like, right before my birthday. I was excited to go watch, you know, Karis LeVert come back. is one of my favorites on the team. Uh, and it really took until, like, the last two weeks of April for him to come back. This year, he came back a little bit stronger. We saw some really strong showings. The Celtics game comes to mind right away. Uh, he played really well against the Raptors as well. So, you know, it's it was a weird kind of re-season for him. He, he's At this point, we kind of know what he is. He's a guy that struggles with injury a little bit and... He takes a little while to come back for them. So, I, I, you know, I think we know what he is. Now it's just about seeing what happens next for him. Yeah, it's it's like a prototype of, of what 2018-19 was for him. And for the record, he came back February 8th. That was oh. the Chicago game. So you're pretty damn close there, lads. And funnily enough, you know, Nolan was pretty much on the money as well. He played exactly 40 games, one more than... Uh, the previous season, it's sort of like, like I sort of said, a carbon copy. You know, he starts off the season relatively well and, and gets out to a burst, gets injured, comes back, needs to get warmed up a little bit and, and gets back to an absolute flurry. I thought this year he came back and was a little bit sharper, quicker, not necessarily like right out of the blocks. I think some of it had to do with the fact that Kenny just kept benching the, the guy and kept being like, nah, we, we don't need him out for, for crunch time periods. Let's minute restrict him to like 18 minutes when we're just about to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's fine. Um, that <laughs> moment still sticks with me to this day. And that Karis LeVert face meme still sticks with me. And it's on par with the, the Michael Jordan last dance memes that we've seen the last couple of days. But yeah, I, I think Karis is... He's oozes potential, and he just—he's got like all the letters there. He's just missing like a couple of vowels and stuff to put it all together. Yeah, that's a good way to summarize it, Jack. I mean, you had the decent star, you had the injury. I think the injury wasn't as serious this year, so he was able to come back a little bit better. But I think we saw probably his highest peak before the season was put on hiatus. We saw Karras kind of hit that new level of maybe doing a little bit longer than just a playoff series. Obviously, I think you value postseason play over regular season play, but it was very nice to see him get back into rhythm and kind of showcase something we've probably never seen from before. The triple-double really sticks out, obviously the 51-point game. But what were some of your favorite moments from Karras Avert in the 2019-20 season? Um, as mentioned, I don't think you can... I mean, the hipster picking me wanted to point out the Spurs triple-double game or maybe the 34-point <laughs> game against the Raptors, which was a new career high and kind of set off that, what was it, like four or five week of... Oh, no, not even that, like three four week of dominance for Karis LeVert. But that Celtics game was absolutely sensational. It's obviously his best performance today, the 51-point outing at 37 and fourth in overtime. Scored from literally anywhere on the court. And, like, I talked about this with Matt before. It's Karis LeVert, when he gets hot, he gets hot like only few players in the NBA can do because he's literally got the three-point shot going. He has his mid. He has the floater. He can get to the basket because he's so damn shifty and athletic. 
So when he gets hot, it's it's coming from every which way, and that Boston game was on full display. So that would obviously be my favorite moment of the 2019-2020 uh, NBA season for Karis LeVert. I'm going to go hipster. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, I'm going big hipster here. Uh, look, first couple of games were exciting from him. Um, you know, he comes out the gate, obviously a tough loss against the Timberwolves, but he has 20 next to Kyrie Irving having 50, so you're getting like 70 70 points from your backcourt and then a couple of games later I remember him really you know shining against that Grizzlies team another tough overtime loss but those ones stuck out really early it it was like you really felt like you know and he was having his issues defensively that second game of the year that Knicks game I was pulling my hair out but the offense it looked like it was making sense a little bit I, I remember just seeing that early on being like all right Karis like this might actually work really well next to Kyrie so those are my two early ones that I just you know Beginning of the season, we were all cautiously optimistic. So maybe that's why I'm picking that. But <laughs> that's, that's, those are my two picks right now. Cautious optimism is a way to live life, Matt. I'll, uh, I'll buy into that, my oh, friend. Yeah. Um, Toru, I'm going to go with the Toronto game. I thought that uh, performance was outstanding. You know, uh, thankfully, I've, I've been able to rewatch the 51-point game numerous times. And that was sort of... That, that's the moment for me where he went from sort of star potential to possible, you know, all NBA potential. You know, any person who could score 50 points plus has just tremendous ceiling. And I think he elevated his ceiling after that game. And, you know, I know it might be somewhat hyperbolic to say after just one performance, but, you know, against an incredibly good competition as well, you know, really stepped up in the clutch. You know, I think it was like 37 points in the last quarter in overtime. And, yeah, I sort of mentioned the OKC game as well. I was totally impressed with that because he was the fulcrum to us getting back in that game and before he was benched you know we probably would have won it if you know Karis had been out there so that one sticks out because I just remember absolutely losing my shit on a buzz with Nick as well (laughs) yeah I mean it's hard not to pick the 51 point game against Boston especially considering the comeback against a team like the Celtics a postseason team and then the supporting cast on the floor it wasn't like he was surrounded by Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie we're talking you know Chris Gioza DeAndre Jordan TLC out there so that really popped but that Toronto game, I think, is really exciting because that was kind of like a warm-up for it. And Toronto is still one of the best defensive teams in the league. And to score 37, go 12 of 18, 6 of 7 from 3, you're like, okay, Karis. And kind of like what Jack said, those games kind of made you feel more confident about, oh, maybe he can be there. All right, this is really some evidence that Karis can actually be that guy. It's not just that one postseason series we saw against Philly. And then also, like Matt mentioned, there was some success early on in the season, too, that really impacted him. But could I throw in one more? Uh, yeah, Harrison, yeah. His his twenty nine point performance against the Suns was like really when you felt like the oh, threshold yeah. of his breakout was going on. I was at that game live. It was a total snooze fest, but uh, it was cool to see him go off. And his defense was excellent in that game. Really, really good no, against Devin yeah. Booker. Yeah, he, it was weird he surprisingly before, had but... really good games against Booker in the, the p- past season too. He locked him up, and then against that game, it was like, okay, Karis, why can't you play defense like this on a regular basis? So, I had to throw that one out there. Uh, And Jack mentioned the OKC thing, the meme. I actually was kind of happy to see him so aggravated on the bench with Kenny for not having him out there. Obviously, you hope every player has that kind of attitude. But just to be like, all right, like Karis really, really wants it. And that was obviously showcased in just that meme. But how would you guys summarize the season? Was it a success, disappointment? How would you label it? That's a tough one. Because obviously the first 20 or so games, um, you know, Sands, like Matt mentioned, a couple games against the Utah Jazz or like the Portland game. 
um, were, you know, for the most part, moderately disappointing. And when he came back from injury in the January, he, he really struggled out the gates. And the fit didn't look that complimentary alongside Kyrie Irving. There's a lot of questions. But then in the last, you know, 19, 20 games, it was a completely different Karis LeVert. So in a sense, um, I'm, I'm kind of neutral when it comes to it, was it disappointing or was it a successful season? Um, a lot like it was last year where it's like now I'm just looking for him to build upon that. Maybe it's hard to ask a player to be more durability when it comes to uh, injuries, but we need to see him available for an 82-game season, obviously. Um, he only got to play, you know, 39 games, so I guess that, in a, in a sense, can be, you know, characterized as disappointing. But overall, I'm kind of exactly where I was in 2018-19. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to be the a-hole who comments on health. Uh, so <laughs> set me up there. Uh, I'm going to say disappointment. All right. So this year, coming into this year, you know, he he was labeled as a possible all-star. Maybe maybe a little too much by Nets Twitter, but there was a little bit of buzz about that um, from national pundits. You know, this is a guy that can come in, can play next to Kyrie Irving as a two-way player. I was really, really bullish on his growth as a passer. That was something that he was really showcasing against Philly, the dump-off plays, um, the cross-court, just kind of like lasers that he was throwing to guys. I thought that part of his game would really take off, and it didn't at all. And I actually uh, – this, this will come up again later for a question. I have a feeling. But, um, I, I, you know, I feel like he largely had the same season he had last year. He just shot the ball a little bit better, uh, better off pull-up shots. That's what it felt like, and maybe that's his growth this year, is that he's becoming a better pull-up shooter, just a little more reliable. But I, I think overall it was a disappointment, just because maybe, may, and you know, may, it might be our faults for setting this guy up to these unrealistic expectations, but he didn't hit that all-star level, and I, I felt like that was a real attainable thing for him this year. Yeah, I sort of surmised that you know, all the points that the, the lad said, I think it sort of fits it uh, quite a bit as well. Successfully unsatisfying in a lot of ways. You know, he mm. had moments, uh, uh, again, you know, it's sort of tantalizing, you know, he dangling the carrot a little bit. But obviously, you know, you can't hold health against the guy, but I guess you can to an extent because, you know, if they are injury prone, that's something that's always been a thing ever since, you know, Carlos was drafted. So, you know, he didn't really take that step. You know, the, the consistency was still an issue for me, and I think it's always an issue uh, with Karras whenever we do these reviews or previews or whatever. So, yeah, he was uh, successful in some points, unsatisfying in others. Yeah, I think the disappointing aspect is definitely the injuries and the consistency. I think some of that's new teammates as well, and then obviously coming back from the injury. But I'll say it's success in the aspect of we saw Karras hit new peaks that he did not hit the previous season. Like, scoring 51 in a game is taking your skill set to the next level. I don't think 2018-2019 Karras had this in his bag to score 51 against Boston or have the big performance against Toronto or even put up the triple-double against San Antonio, even though that was you know a bad team on the court against them. I think he took his game to a different peak. Obviously, want to see the consistency, but getting back to what we were talking about, I think there was more evidence out there that maybe he can get to that level. I didn't really think being an all-star was attainable this season just based off the guards in the East. I thought he was always going to be a fringe all-star. It would have took a lot of success from the Nets for him to get to that level, in my opinion. But guys, talking about his actual game, or actually, let's talk about his fit next to Kyrie Irving. Based off what we saw, obviously, extremely small sample size, do you feel more confident, less confident, or just indifferent based off of what we saw this season? I'm still indifferent. Um, the sample size was so damn small. I mean, they only took the floor together for like 10 to 12 games. 
Um, and it was it was not just Karis LeVert and Kyrie Irving didn't really get to find a rhythm or gel together. Nobody really on the Nets got to really gel with Kyrie Irving because he only played, you know, 20 games. He's a different superstar than D'Angelo Russell is. It was a whole different dynamic. It was going to take a while for them to gel and find a rhythm. And unfortunately, that's not what happened because obviously Kyrie missed 44 games. So alongside Kyrie Irving and, and furthermore, alongside Kevin Durant, I'm, I'm willing to give this a legitimate shot. And then next season, if the fit is deemed uncomplimentary by Sean Marks, maybe then we can entertain the idea of potentially moving him at the deadline for, I don't know, the third star or more complimentary pieces, whatever the case may be. But for now, I'm willing to give it a shot because I really did like how Karis LeVert um, upped his playmaking in the last six weeks, you know, averaged 5.7 assists. And the pull-up shooting was at 42%. The catch-and-shoot was, I think it was sub-30%, which was really strange. 31. He, 31, yeah, yeah. which was which is really strange. I guess, I guess he just needs a rhythm dribble or to step into a shot. Um, the catch-and-shoot is going to have to obviously be better if you want to play alongside those cats. But I'm I'm still cautiously optimistic like I am with a lot of things surrounding the Brooklyn Nets. Um, piggybacking off that, yeah, he's never shot the ball better than 35%, I believe, as a catch-and-shoot marksman, which is obviously not great. Uh, I, You know, a lot of this downtime I've, I've spent writing about him, writing about Spencer, and trying to figure out who fits better, I guess, next to Kyrie. Um, I think in the ideal world is that you have a guy that plays next to Kyrie and they're interchangeable a little bit. So one guy can play off the other guy and, and be the catch and shoot guy, if you will. And then you can switch that and, and, you know, the other guy be passing to whoever the guy was in the first situation where he was passing. So a little bit of like what I guess Portland is doing with uh, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, but hopefully you'll get a guy that's a little better defensively. Um, I don't know if you have that right now. And I, I don't know how Kyrie would react to being the guy who, hey, it's really only going to work if you're the guy coming off a curl or, or coming off, you know, a, a pin down and, and you're the guy who's going to be in that catch and shoot role. He's, he's shown, especially in Boston, that he's capable of doing that, working off ball. But it is a little bit of an ego check to be like, hey, we need to give Karis the ball in order for one of you guys to play off ball. And unfortunately, it's going to have to be you, Kyrie. So that's my worry a little bit. Um, the catch and shoot uh, shooting just has to improve, and I I don't know how the interchangeability is going to work. So I'm a little I'm a little dubious of it right now. Yeah, I'm I'm with Matt, and uh, thankfully being uh, the fourth guy on a pod allows me to sort of do some research while we are doing it. And, <laughs> mm. uh, I was able to to get some advanced numbers on NBA.com, and these numbers are yucky with a capital Y. Their offensive rating together on the court is 105.4. Their defensive rating, 116.1, negative 10.7 net rating. That is disgusting. And uh, 284 minutes, 18 games, sample size. There's enough there to sort of go by. But, you know, obviously the the interchangeability of like, you know, the other guys in the lineups, who are they coming up against? But those are not good numbers. And I I, I guess there's still an optimist in me because, you know, I'm – despite being generally pessimistic on this podcast for the most time, I still have a bit of faith because I think that the relationship is there. I think Kyrie and Karis have this, you know, this chemistry off the court as well, which I think can and will reflect on the court. We sort of touched on, and and the boys touched on some games, you know, earlier in the season when they were showing some nice things. So I think that those numbers, while somewhat indicative, are also somewhat of an aberration because, you know, 
you can't really those are sort of sporadic minutes you know some of those minutes would have been Kyrie coming back from an injury Karras coming back from an injury all these sort of different things but uh, they certainly aren't good that's to say the least for sure and if you look on that same thing with Kyrie Irving two-man data I believe at the top of it is him and uh, Dinwiddie I, I think around a seven point six net rating something like that I've looked at these numbers a lot Great seven at least. It surprises and, me still. So it does. So, it does a little bit, but I that guess surprises you know, me. If you if you're looking into to the advanced numbers and the analytics, and I think you know the the net staff do love that stuff. Maybe uh, that does sway their thinking when it comes to possible trade possibilities. Who knows? Well, the other thing is they have Dinwiddie run that set that they uh, usually do for Joe Harris. It's called away. It's the double like the double screen where he curls from the wing to the top of the key. I guess. Dinwiddie was running that with with Kyrie, and it was a pretty effective play for them. Uh, So, you know, they were able to, like, what I'm basically saying is he was working pretty well as a catch-and-shoot guy next to Kyrie. So I think those numbers reflect that. Yep. So He's sensational. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From the online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. Blue Chew has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They got the same active ingredients at Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them any time of day, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com. Get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 for shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Now, moving on from there, talking a little bit, what were some of the strengths you think in Karras' game? Or, yeah, what were some of the strengths we saw this year? Oh, okay. Um, definitely in the final six weeks, like I uh, alluded to earlier, I thought the playmaking really improved, and that's something that Karras is going to have to be good at next season because Kyrie Irving can be a catch-and-shoot threat. I mean, obviously, I expect Kyrie Irving to have a high usage, the ball in his hands more than Karras does, but when... Karis Avert is commanding some of the offense or running a set. He's going to have to find, you know, the guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are both, and Joe Harris for that matter, which is three players that are hover around 40% on catch and shoot. So that gives me optimism that the offense can work if Karis Avert's playmaking is to translate over into next season. Um, the pull-up shooting was sensational. The catch and shoot, not so much. Um, defensively, I mean, we'll probably get into his weaknesses later. We'll talk about strengths right now, try to keep it positive. Um, yeah, you know, uh, those aspects of his game, I thought he made improvements on. Um, still has got a, a ways to go. Um, the, the bag, you know, the proverbial bag, like a game you guys mentioned against the Celtics, where I'm not sure he had that in him in 2018-19, or just the confidence instilled in him to go out and, you know, dominate, especially, you know, without Spencer Dinwiddie. 
or without majority of the starters on the floor with him. So nope. those are all those are all improvements, but there's still you know quite a ways to go when it comes to Karis Levert. Nolan, can I ask you something? So on the on the playmaking thing, you kind of mentioned yeah. how he was you know he was moving the ball better as I guess down the stretch a little bit. His usage was also way up, and yeah. he's a guy that. I, I feel like passing is like a secondary skill in that he needs to make a couple of shots and then he kind of commands the defense a little bit and then he starts passing. That's what it always right. felt like to me. The rhythm is that thing? concerning at all to you? Because I, I feel like that's a little bit concerning. Like that he the needs to get well, just that he needs a shot volume to kind of like get into his playmaking in a way. I think he doesn't even need like to touch base on that. I think he needs more than a shot volume. I think he needs to have the ball in his hands, kind of have control of both ends of the floor to finally f feel that rhythm and get comfortable within the offense. And that is concerning because obviously right now, Kares Avert, when he's at his best, he has high usage. We saw him last year in the playoffs where I think he even had higher high usage than D'Lo. It was like 28% or something ridiculous. But what also, and I'll, I'll ask you guys about this, I also think if the Nets were to do nothing, if they were not to move Spencer Dinwiddie this offseason, whenever that is, if they were not to move Karis Levert, I also kind of like those two as a sixth and seventh man. Kind of like what the Clippers do with uh, Montrose Harrell sorry, and Lou Williams, but obviously different positions. Where those two can just be mercenaries off the bench and they can both play off each other and can band, you know, a higher usage rate. Which you probably wouldn't see when they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the floor with them. Do you really feel like the Clippers needed Lou Williams this year, though? Because I don't know. If they uh, that's tough. With injuries, I, mean, I think they did. But yeah. without, if everyone's healthy, then I think there's an argument maybe they don't need him completely. But he is kind of like a playmaker because I think you look at the Clippers a little bit and there's not necessarily a ton of like creation for others. So it's a lot of guys creating on their own. It also makes them super tough to defend because you just have all of those guys that can create plays for themselves. And it's not really you can, like you can hide defenders. Not saying as much off the bench, but if you're going with a lineup and you have Lou Will, Kawhi, PG out there, you got Montrez Harrell, now all of a sudden you have three guys, Harrell's going to clean up on the boards, that can create their own shot. And it's going to be hard for teams to have three good on-ball defenders. For sure. I mean, the reason I ask that is because, like, you know, him and, and Trez Harrell obviously have their just dynamic duo in the pick and roll. Who is that for Levert? Because that's what I would be wondering. Like, who is his partner that he's going to be pairing with? Because otherwise, he's just a guy that needs, like, kind of a sh high shot volume next to mm -hmm. Kyrie and KD. That's, well, that's did, why I'm, like, attacking that a little bit. Well, he did almost double his uh, usage in the pick and roll from this season compared to last year. He ran, like, 4.7 last year, 8.0 this year. Um, I guess, I don't know. You know, it's a sheer speculation at this point. I'm not sure if they keep Jared Allen. I'm not sure if Jared Allen is on the bench next year or if DeAndre Jordan is. But, I mean, you, you can find, you know, role men that are decent off pick and rolls. Kind of kind of dime a dozen. They're not too uncommon in the NBA, so I'm not totally concerned about that. Mm -hmm. I just yeah, I think like if it's, it's – sorry, it's Matt. It, oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. If it's Jared Allen, I think we forget that actually Karras was the one that kind of got Jared Allen going his rookie season. There's a game against OKC. It was in the Mexico City games, and they connected for like five oops in that game. So if it's Jared Allen, I have no concern with the chemistry off the bench. Even DeAndre, you notice that they really start to pick up their chemistry you know, in the later stint of the season because I think it's just Spencer Dinwiddie said this, and I luckily just caught on a yes broadcast, that like depending on your role man, you really have to, have to adjust how you throw oops. So I think it takes some time. And we saw that with Spencer with DeAndre early in the season where 
in that Timberwolf game, I think there was like five miss oops that probably cost the Nets the game. If they connect on three of those, we're talking about a dub. Yeah, I think it's interesting to sort of think, you know, in the terms of the of the strengths of Karras, you know, I look at the sort of last stint where from that Phoenix game that Matt alluded to, to the end of the season, his numbers were insane. You know, 24 points a game, over five assists, nearly five rebounds, over 41% from three. 45% from the field. You know, he was taking six and a half attempts a, a contest as well from three. So it's not like he wasn't taking them either. So I think that if there is a, some consistency and fluidity to his game, then he takes that if the season does come back. And maybe he can alter it and go, okay, well, how can I get back to sort of my playmaking ways? How can I you know, increase and, and bring back Jared Allen and, and sort of increase his sort of game to an extent as well? I think that there are still some, some weaknesses in Karras' game. And the the stretch that I loved the most in terms of the side of his game was those games where he was just racking up steals and steals and steals and steals. It was like a game where he had like six and he was having like four, uh, that and, and a couple of fours actually. That for me is what I'm like. Okay, Karras can fit next to Kyrie. Karras can fit with KD. It's but we didn't. I think we'll probably get to weaknesses. We'll probably end up discussing it a little bit. But that's one thing. And I am intrigued by the idea that Nolan did bring up. And uh, again, you know, the, the numbers reflect quite well. And in nearly 600 minutes, you know, Spencer and Karras together in terms of two-man lineups, you know, however much you want to buy into that, 112.9 offensive rating, 108.6 defensive rating. Not amazing, but a solid enough 4.3 net rating. It's, I think that everything is on the table for the Nets. And I think that that's something that I haven't heard before, and it immediately intrigues me. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. It just becomes like, do they have both those guys actually come off the bench, or are one of them just like that early sub, where they're in the starting lineup, but they get pulled that four-minute mark, and you know they're kind of playing with the bench. I think mm -hmm. we, we've kind of talked about it is like, it's really the question for Karras is, can he be a complimentary player? Because he's not going to be the star of the team when you have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. He's not going to have the usage rate. You have two, you know, probably all-time greats offensive skill sets on your team. It's going to be hard to make an argument to give Karras the ball. So it's like on him to try to find ways to be better as that complimentary guy or kind of like Nolan hinted at, maybe going to the bench and having a higher usage makes sense. But then it comes like, is it? counterproductive to have two guys off the bench like that because one of them's getting weakened and you probably have other weaknesses on your team. So it's like, it really is an interesting job for Sean Marks. Yeah, I think that would be like, just, I mean, that's the biggest thing is just like, I, the roster is starting to feel a little duplicative. So that's what I would worry about. It's like all rollers, you know, or, or guys that need heavy shot volume. And I, I think ultimately, like, where I'm at right now is that it's going to come down to a decision between him or Dinwiddie. So, that, and I, which, which is like, which I, and I like watching both those guys. So, I, I, I don't like saying that in a lot of ways, but I mm -hmm. think that there is a way to, like, reconfigure this so that you're getting a guy that fits a little bit better and does a little bit more of the little things for Kyrie and Katie and just fits in, I don't know, just better. I don't know. I just think there's a way to make that work better. Supplements the weaknesses a little bit better. Because for sure. You have like those two guys and it, it gets interesting with the contract situation too, because we know Spencer just has that one year left on his deal and then the player option where they have Karrison to 22, 23. So it's like, where do they want to go with this? Do they want to have the guy under contract? Are they going to be willing to play, pay Spencer if he passes up on that player option, which I'm sure he will. So it, it gets like a little bit more complicated in that aspect too. But uh, Jack, you want to toss in some more strengths for Karis? Yeah, what was the couple of extra strengths that I had? You know, he's obviously a sensational driver. His footwork is very unorthodox, but very, very effective. 
Um, like we sort of touched on a little bit, you know, his off the off the off the dribble shooting from three has been you know sensational uh, for, for for a large stretch of the season. And especially, you know, I always point out, you know, he loves that sort of top left corner. He's a yeah. he's a big fan of that one. And when guys yeah. don't get out to him, it's like you, know, you guys aren't reading the scouting report. And maybe <laughs> we scout this team probably a little more in depth uh, than probably most other NBA teams. To be fair. And I think one thing that always pops for Karras, and we saw that in that like last 10-game stretch, is when he's under control, he's just so much better. Like You just see him, he has that confidence where he's driving to the paint and he doesn't feel rushed and he's able to kind of just do his thing. And I think that's also where you see his passing you know, take that next step too. And kind of like what Matt was asking Nolan, it's like, I feel like Karras has to be involved to be effective. I don't know if that means he needs touches to drive or pick and roll, but he has to feel like he's part of the game because even in that early stint where we saw some success, there was other portions where it, you just didn't feel Karras Liver on the floor. And I think that's like the one thing you hate as, you know, a GM or a coach is like you have a talented player, but you're not feeling his presence on the court. And I think that's just like just the worst thing that can really happen for you. Sure. But moving on to weaknesses, which we kind of already hinted at, obviously we talked strengths, driving, pull up three, you know, interior passing, I think is a plus, but where would you push the weaknesses to? Obviously consistent catch and shoot is the one that really sticks out so far on the show. Right. Um, I could have sworn that Karis LeVert coming out of Michigan was kind of touted as a solid defender. I don't remember what his draft profile was, but that wasn't that on there? Yep. It was. I mean, his uh, rookie year, he showcased it. Yeah. 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 No, there, there was, there was, there was for sure defensive upside. I'm kind of like wondering where that has gone. I mean, there's times where I'm gonna allude to the Pacers game early in the season. I don't know if you guys remember Jeremy Lamb absolutely torching us, going you know right off the roll and popping a 17 foot midi, where Karis Avert looked absolutely lost, like he he had never defended a pick and roll before. Um, his instincts haven't been great, you know, especially in like two, three zone situations. His on-ball defense, I don't have the numbers, but off eye test, I'm assuming it's not fantastic. He has all the tools to be a great defender, all of them in the world, even with, you know, all the injuries that he's unfortunately had to endure for, you know, his career up to this point and dating all the way back to college. He's going to have to be a better defender if he's on this roster next season as obviously a huge if we've been you know, speculating that this entire podcast almost. Um, the catch and shoot, like you alluded to, Nick, that has to improve. He cannot be shooting at 31%. That's just not going to get it done alongside you know the roster as is. And overall, he's going to have to kind of learn and adapt to how to play within the flow of the offense with two high-usage players, which he kind of hasn't done yet. And that's easier said than done, but he can't sometimes, unfortunately, he kind of feels like he can be a, a ball stopper on offense. Uh, kind of like a Julius Randle. Well, I won't go that far. That's unfair to him. Yeah, uh, you're never coming back to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, he has to he has to adapt to playing alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Obviously, we haven't got to see any sample size as to what that looks like yet. But as we know, Karis LeVert, when he's at his best, he's high usage. So he's going to have to learn how to play when that's toned down. Um, I'm looking at his defensive numbers. So my thing with him and the rest of the Nets is I give everybody a pass for the first month. Um, anybody who looked at his sorts defensively, I felt like it was a team-wide issue. And his actually his numbers on synergy are pretty nice by the end of the year. Uh, very good 65th percentile pick-and-roll ball handler uh, defender, yeah. which is surprising. Yeah, uh, 89th percentile isolation defender. He was 88th percentile as a handoff, I guess, deterrent. So 
some oh, wow. pretty good, yeah, yeah, very nice defensive numbers. The thing that's really tricky with about him is, and Nolan touched upon this a little bit, it's his habit of over-dribbling. And I don't think he shed that yet. It was something that he worked on as the year progressed. I'm trying to go to, I have somewhere in an article, uh, he is shooting, let's see, I don't know if I'm, uh, the shot clock's kind of running out. Uh, <laughs> okay, for plays that he dribbles seven times or more, he shoots 28.6% from three and 36.8% from two. So he has this problem of like trying to show everything in his arsenal and starting and stopping. And it's, it's like watching, I mean, it's, you know, nothing like comparing myself or you guys to an NBA player. It's like playing (laughs) at a guy at the park where (laughs) he does every dribble handle in the move or, you know, in the book and, and, and doesn't go anywhere. That's what it kind of feels like with Levert a little bit. Yeah. I think with Karras, it's sometimes his game feel leaves a lot to be desired. You know, it's sometimes he's he's his awareness and just general feel. You know, I think he's a, he's quite a smart player when he's honed in and, and when he's you know sort of feeling himself. But there's times where like and I think the stats that Matt brought up sort of reflect that where he can just sort of either get caught in his head thinking too much and he's either or he's getting too instinctual and trying to like do too much for himself. So I think. That's probably for me the bigger week, <clears throat> the bigger weaknesses. We talked about availability and consistency. You know, his defense it has been good for the the most for the more recent parts, which is what I sort of uh, look towards in terms of his defensive ceiling and his defensive capabilities. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of things that you know he does a lot of things. Like you know, he can rebound, he can pass, he can shoot. You know, sometimes from certain places, and he can create for himself, and he can defend, but. He's just never been able to, uh, and I guess it, it comes back to some when we were sort of surmising it as successful or disappointing, is just he's yet to just put it all together. <clears throat> you know, that 51-point game was just an offensive explosion, and you know, he did have some good defensive possessions. But there's rare where we've seen an ultimate two-way sort of game like we would see from, you know, Drew Holiday night after night, which is, you know, a guy I've compared him to uh, on numerous occasions. Or, you know, maybe the best version of Gary Harris, Nolan Jensen's guy. Um, (laughs) I kid, I kid, I kid. But, uh, yeah, those are the things that sort of stick out when it comes to his weaknesses. Yeah, I think it all comes down to one thing is consistency. You know, we all talk about it. You want the consistent catch and shoot. You want the consistent defense. You want the consistent decision making. You know, I think at times he's decisive with the ball, but other times, like Matt mentioned, you know, he's hitting you with a crossover, a hezzy, and essentially not going anywhere. And that's exactly what you don't want offensively. And I think one weakness, and he's shown an ability to do this, and I'd love to see it more from him, is his cutting ability. We saw it a lot with D'Angelo Russell pre-injury. We saw it a little bit with Chris Gioza. And I think if you're not a great catch-and-shoot guy, like the other way you can impact the game is if you're a really good cutter. And I think that's an area where maybe Karras needs to attack because I don't think he's ever going to be an elite catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Like he can be a good one, but I don't think he's ever going to hit that elite level. So I think getting more consistent with your cuts and cutting with more of a purpose and also just having more of an impact off-ball. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to hit catch and shoot. There's a guy like Andre Robertson who had success with OKC. What he was doing a great job was setting off-ball screens for his teammates to just make that pass easier for maybe KD to throw it to Kyrie in the corner or something like that. Finding a way to make yourself have an impact on the game without the ball. I think that's the biggest step for Karras to have a fit on next year's team. But guys, what would be an ideal lineup for Karis LeVert? We can use this, you know, this current roster. We could use just skill sets. What are you thinking? 
Damn. Anytime I do this, I start really questioning the fit with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, unfortunately, when it comes to Karis LeVert. But um, right now, as as it stands, like how I would build, you know, potentially a roster around uh, Karis, is that what you're uh, alluding to, Nick? Just a lineup. Just a lineup? Okay. I'd put, you know, Joe Harris type with him, obviously. I'd put the ball in his hands, kind of have him like in a point forward type situation with the high uses. I think that's where he shines the most and having a role man as a threat in the pick and roll because he has improved his, uh, you know, pick and roll. Not so much efficiency, but larger volume where he's kind of trying to add that to his game as well. Or I don't know if that was by this design with Kenny Agassin. We all know he loved his pick and rolls, but he did run a lot more this year than last year. Um, and yeah, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, that's, that's, what I would, that's what I would do. I get him a couple catch-and-shoot threats, a couple guys that move off-ball, like you say, that can cut, create, you know, havoc through off-ball screens, et cetera, and have a role man for him. I got three teams outlined. Um, Denver, <laughs> I like him sort of playing, basically taking the – how about being like a hybrid of, of Will Barton and Gary Harris? So oh, he's taking you. that role. Uh, <laughs> he's playing next to Jamal Murray, who plays well off ball. He's, you know, he's done that next to Jokic for a couple years yeah. now. That's a good fit for him. Um, really, any point guard that can play off ball and like is actually like in, is does that quite a bit. So Boston is another good one. Kemba plays off ball quite a bit. Um, he does those classic Kemba Walker toes on the line threes uh, off the catch. So you could do something like that. Um, and then the last one is maybe like Toronto. Put him next to Kyle Lowry, who also another guy who could play off ball. Put him next to to uh, Fred Van Vliet, maybe depending upon what they do. I, I like any of those three spots. And I, you know, it's funny I say all this. If if they're able to make it work, and there's a little bit more of an understanding that Kyrie is going to be used off ball a little bit more, like he was in Boston, it's actually a really great fit next to to uh, to Levert. But you know, they, that's got to be on paper. That's got to be an understanding between those two guys and the rest of the team, that Kyrie's going to do more off-ball. Yeah, <clears throat> I had just guys that sort of probably a combination of what Matt and sort of Nolan have said. You know, I think he needs a superstar next to him. He can't be the sort of one guy. You know, he, he'll certainly get his numbers, but I don't think it will lead to ultimate team success. Quality role players, a la Joe, Joe Harris, you know, are probably a, a better defender than him. I don't think he can be the best defender on a team. And a quality role man, you know, I think that a guy of the ilk of Jared Allen, when they were really sort of developing this synergy, you know, got someone that has a quality chemistry, you know, can get him in uh, some space as well. Let's set some clever screens, some solid screens, because he is a good passer in the pick and roll. And I think uh, when he has intuition with that sort of guy, you know, the wraparound passes are, are things that we've we've all loved and to see. And, you know, he's certainly been really good at those sort of passes, especially to, to DJ. DJ sort of learned that a little bit as well uh, in, in games of late. So I think those sort of elements are what stick out for me. Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. I think you're looking at another guard to play with him that can play off ball, but also can handle some of the playmaking duties because I don't think Karras is your main ball handler all the time. I think he needs that secondary guy that can handle some of the load when maybe he's not going. Obviously, you need the floor spacing because he likes to attack. He likes to get in that pick and roll. He likes to get in that ISO. And then obviously the rim runner. I think that's ideally what you're going to get. The real question is, can that be on the nets? Obviously, to be determined but, guys, what would be three areas you'd like to see Karis LeVert improve if he's on the team next season? Ooh, that's a good one. I kind of reiterate what I've said a few times. Um, 
Actually, make it only one. If you can only pick one okay. thing, Nolan, that makes it a little harder. Shoot, man. Uh, Matt brought up the synergy stats, and you know analytics might oppose what I'm about to say, but I'd like to see him. And actually, I believe he was first on defensive win shares for like the last couple months of the season. So all of that is opposing my stance, but I still don't care. I'd like to see him rake up his defensive intensity because on this roster, um, especially when you have you know Joe Harris. He, According to ESPN's defensive real plus minus, he was not a net negative in any sense of the word. Uh, Kyrie Irving can be a good on-ball defender, but still, you know, a couple questions surrounding if this can be a top 10 defense next year. They were eighth this season by, you know, mainly by Kenny Atkinson's design. I'm I'm, going to give him credit for that. I'm not sure on paper how the hell they managed to pull that off. But I'd like to see Karis Avert much more active on the defensive end of the basketball floor next season. This is this is things he needs to improve in, correct? Just one thing, Matt. You can only pick one thing. Um, That's tough. Yeah, it's tough. I feel like we touched on everything. Uh, let's see. I mean, I guess I like the catch and shoot stuff. I like immediately if he's going to be on this team next year, which I really hope he is. Uh, just the ability to to be a consistent catch and shoot threat and the shot mechanics. Um, you know, he he was as the season progressed, I felt like his shot mechanics were better. Um, but he still has those plays where he'll take a, a pull up three and he'll like go off the glass. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the best thing to see. Uh, is where you have the shot like I guess parabola going just about anywhere. So yeah, maybe shot mechanics and catch and shoot would be something to like. I, I want to see immediately. Um, if it's next to, to KD and Kyrie, Nick, I'm going to steal your idea and go with the the off-ball movement, the off-ball cutting, just anything that relates to what he can do without the ball in his hands because we know what he can do with the ball in his hands. That's his, the, when he is, he's at his best, when he's able to control the game, create for himself, create for others. But what can he do when he doesn't have that? What can he? How can he create for others? How can he create space for others? How can he, you know, make the game easier for, for KD and Kyrie? Because you know those guys are the one A, one B, and he's going to be number two, number three in the pecking order. So for me, it's a it's a generalist answer, but I'm stealing it because I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough because I think there's obviously multiple factors, all great answers, because, you know, no one mentioned the defense. The Nets could obviously use an elite defender, a guy that can disrupt things and make a tough time for the opposing offense. And then also, like Matt said, that catch-and-shoot ability just makes the Nets that much more dynamic. If you already have Joe Harris out there, you have a Kyrie Irving, a Kevin Durant, and then if Harris was able to shoot 40% on his catch-and-shoots, you'd feel a lot better. But like Jack mentioned, the off-ball impact, it's a really tough decision. I think based off of the Nets' needs, I'm going to lean with Nolan here. I think I'd like to see Karras take that jump defensively, not only on ball, but also off ball. Jack mentioned a guy like Drew Holiday, who has a – obviously, I don't expect Karras to get to that level next season, but try to take some of his game where he's providing such an impact off ball defensively, not only on ball, where you're just helping your team to the next level, especially when your offensive touches are going to be dangerous. But now to the tough question that we've uh, we chatted a little bit before mm-hmm. the show started. Where does Karis LeVert rank at, rank at his position entering next season? Okay, I'll right. set up you first on this one. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, go ahead, <laughs> Jack. Let you go guys ahead. have a listen to me because I did all the goddamn <laughs> minutiae of research. I got 
in umpteenth responses to it and, and it didn't really help with uh, where I was sort of putting him. But the guys that are definitely better than him, James Harden, and this is in no real order, but it's it's just guys that are definitely better than him. Harden, Bill, McCollum, Paul George, Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, Donovan Mitchell, Victor Oladipo, you can argue from this season, but I think in general he is a better player. Uh, and Jalen Brown after this season, who I thought was an all-star level player and an incredible two-way player. I think Did you say Clay Thompson? A... Yeah, Clay's got to be in there. Oh, Clay Thompson, sorry. I, I was looking up and... I probably wouldn't put Paul George as a shooting guard either. That's just my opinion. Uh, could I add two more? Yeah, I think I think I would take Buddy Heald and... See, this is the range where I had him, Matt. And okay. This is where I got the, so, like, I put out the, the, the tweet was, you know, who ranked these guys? And it was Jalen Brown, it was um, Buddy Heald, it was Josh Richardson, and it was Carol Savert. Those four guys are in a range of, like, probably Brown, take him out. But for me, Heald, Richardson, and Levert are all in a range where I think they're all quite similar, which is around that top 10, top 9 sort of range of, of shooting guards. That can get better. But Buddy Heald has maybe the most valuable skill set as being you know, one of the two, three, four, five best three-point shooters in the league. If that's what you value, maybe he goes at the top of the list, like uh, like Matt said. Karis Avert can show the, that he can lead a team on his back by himself. Maybe that's what you value, you know, into, and he's got really good two-way ability. Josh Richardson's fit and malleability to fit alongside other guys has proven that he can be, you know, a, a, four, a fourth option, a third option on a championship team. Probably what the Nets could use uh, alongside Kyrie and KD, to be fair. I think he'd be a perfect fit there. Maybe that's what you value. So I think... That's why I'm going to say I'm not going to pick yet because I want to hear the discussion and see if it, it sways me to, to think, you know, oh, Levert's at the bottom of that sort of list. Oh, he's better than Richardson. He's better than Heald. Um, I want to hear what you guys think after sort of throwing names out there, throwing the range and such. I think the Buddy Heald one is interesting to me because Buddy Heald might easily be the better player, but I definitely would not take Buddy Heald over Karis Levert for this roster. I think Buddy Heald... Um, and you never really want to say this about an NBA player, but this is just my personal opinion. I think he might have an attitude problem. I don't know mm. if his personalities would click or mesh well with Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. I mean, we saw Luke Walton. Um, it's not really a downgrade, but he got pushed to that six-man role, and he started excelling at it, right? He was playing phenomenal basketball. I'm like, oh, there's Buddy Heald. And then he came out and said that he wasn't really happy that he was starting, so he doesn't seem like a player that's willing to adapt to the personal changes around him or you know do what's best for the team and again that's you know you never really want to say that of an NBA player but that's just the vibe I get but uh, to answer your question um I didn't rank him um like 13th 14th etc in the feudal system I kind of had him as an upper mid tier because he has the potential to reach you know the elite status, well, maybe borderline elite status, potentially being an all-star, I think that's Karis LeVert's ceiling. But I also don't think that he's exactly in that mid-tier. I think he's just a step above that, if that makes any sense. Um, can we throw Marcus Smart in the mix? Yeah, I think Marcus Smart's worth throwing in the mix because he's probably... Maybe the best defender out of all of them. You know, I think you can make an argument for Drew Holiday as well on his day. I think I, I get swayed by Drew Holiday just because I've seen him in person as well. But Marcus Smart is always a defensive player of the year candidate. So I think, yeah, in the in the range, I think, you know, if I could add five photos to Twitter, I would probably have had Marcus Smart in there too. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm. uh, 
Yeah, because I, I think that Marcus Smart is a little more malleable. Like, he's, I mean, literally every franchise wants a Marcus Smart. Every single one. They could have four non-shooters, and they'd be like, oh, please, let's let's add Marcus Smart, because he's just like this, you know, he's a glue guy in every sense of the word. So, um, I might, God, I don't know. It's so hard, because it's really hard to look at, like, raw numbers and compare that to, like, defensive intangibles. That's, like, a weird argument to make. But I think I would take Marcus Smart over Levert right now. So Ooh. that, yeah, I think Ooh. I would. That's, I don't know how hot of a take that is. So that pushes Levert to like the 10 spot, I think, in the league right now for not including Paul George. And then you could make a case, depending upon what team Buddy Heald is on, um, just his, his shot creation is, is way, way up there. Um, you know, he's not just like this catch and shoot guy. I think he gets that, per, you know, just because of, I guess, of who he came in the league as, but. He's a guy that, you know, effectively dribbles into threes and pulls up over anybody. He can single-handedly create, you know, a, a run by himself. And he did that for that Kings team down the stretch as they were really getting into the swing of things. So, I, I you know, I, it's funny. He's kind of similar to Levert in a lot of ways where I think that they're probably both best off the bench and they're kind of like instant offense guys. But because we're actually in the three-point movement and that's what Buddy Heald does, I actually might take Buddy Heald over him too. So that puts Levert at 11, I believe. Yep. Yeah, I had Levert in that like 10 to 15 range. I didn't go specifically. I think, you know, there's arguments for other guys. It also comes down to what do you value? Like, are you valuing a complementary skill set or are you valuing a guy who can create a little bit more? Like, Marcus Smart is an interesting conversation because I don't think you'd ever want Marcus Smart as a guy that's really running your offense, but he's doing so many small things on the court that's helping you, but he's never going to be you know, one of your key pieces that's running the show or something like that. So it's like, do you value the complementary skill set or do you value a guy that can play, make, create for himself and is improving, creating for others? And I think defensively, we see the upside on Karras. It's just about kind of proving it consistently. So it's really intriguing about where he can get. And it's like, we've so seen so many different peaks from Karras. It's so hard to gauge him. And it's like, Every time we see it, we're left with like a really good taste at the end of the season. Like last year, obviously, with the postseason against Philly, like I mentioned a hundred times already. And then this last stretch we saw from Karras where he was just shooting lights out, you know, getting the 51-point game, the triple-double. It's just different things we never saw. So it's like, does maybe Karras have something yet that we haven't seen that he can unlock when we see him consistently play, if that ever does happen? If he gets a 60 or 70-game season, will that help him unlock his game even more? But, guys, what do we think? Let, this is an unprompted question. Do you think Karis Avert will be on the roster by the end of next season? So the end of the 2021 season, we're talking first round of the playoffs. Do I think he'll be on the roster, or what do I uh, Yeah, do you at? think he'll be on the roster? Shoot. Oh, man. That might be the toughest question about them all, because there's just so much speculation, so much that goes into that. At the end of the season, so that's going beyond next year's trade deadline um if i were to make my assumption now based on like what we've seen and what he is if it takes throwing in Karis avert in a trade package to get sean marks's guy i mean he's ruthless in the best way possible he's going to make the move um i think he's going to survive this offseason i really do but Oh, man, yeah, like I said, if, if if Sean Marks feels like there's a move to make, Karis Avert by no means is an untouchable player. So, I'm going to go no. 
I'm going to say no. I don't think he will be by the end of the 2021 NBA season, unfortunately, for how much I like the guy. Um, um, I, I'm going to say with a little more certainty, uh, just there's a lot of ifs to make the, to make the fit work. And he has more value than pretty much any young player or even just, I guess, regular veteran level player on this Nets team. And I think that that matters. They're going to look at it. Cause I mean, really, if you're looking at all the young guys, the young assets, um, you know, Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, though, I don't, he's like 26 now, so, uh, or even 27, maybe. Uh, and, and I guess Levert, you know, I, he's the guy with the most value. None of those guys are perfect fits for the, the Kyrie KD team. So, I mean, in a sense, why not trade the guy with the most value that showed the most star power to a franchise that'll certainly believe in him? I mean, the dream, I mean, the, the, you know, there are plenty of teams I think that'll be lining up, teams that he's probably detonated against before. That'll be like, hey, we'd love to get a, a, a taste of Karis LeVert. So, yeah, I think I lean towards yes, just because of the things that sort of Matt sort of said. Despite the fact that I think the Nets would probably be as good, if not better, without him, if you can get pieces, you know, I think LeVert will probably be a better player than a package you'd probably get in return, unless you're getting, you know, Bradley Beal, Drill and beat Ben Simmons, any of those guys that we've sort of discussed on previous sort of podcasts and Nets sort of has clamored over. But if you can get, you know, wing depth pieces or, or any of those sort of guys, you know, that can sort of fit around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving rather than sort of guys who have overlapping skill set. You know, Kevin Silvert's skill set overlaps probably more than any other uh, guy on our roster. Spencer Dinwiddie's does to an extent. But we've sort of seen and talked about the numbers where it's sort of like, well, Dinwiddie is a better guy coming off the bench. Carol Savert, you know, when he did come off the bench, he was you know, good in parts. But, you know, he needed when he really flourished was when he was starting and when he was sort of taking control of the team. So I'm still questionable about his fit. You know, I think all of us are to at least some extent. So while I think that the Nets would have a... a, a I, I will go with yes, because it's it's a lot easier to imagine a team with him on it than imagine a team without him on it. Yeah, I'm going to go with yes here. I see the scenario where he's not on the team is a scenario where the Nets have another third all-star, being Bradley Beal or one of the names that Jack mentioned. I just think the contract situation is going to play some role in this too because I think you just keep looking at Spencer and knowing that he only has that one more year and then you're going to really be asking Joe Sy to like open the books because – I mean, on the open market, Spencer's getting 15-plus easy. You know, some mm -hmm. team might throw 20 mil at him, and then you're looking at it where you already have Karras at 17 and 18. Now it's like, all right, we're going to lose. There's probably a good chance they lose Spencer in that 21 offseason because I just don't – I don't see them going that crazy over the luxury tax, especially with Joe Harris's contract coming up. And I think we all would agree that Joe is one guy that we know fits on this roster. So – I don't really see a scenario where they lose him this offseason where that just makes me lean towards Karras unless, like I said, they're getting some other star back. Because then your your roster construction gets a little bit tricky because you're going to have a, a really hard time adding assets. And we're also talking about a tradable contract for Karras, so it might make more sense to even hold on to it and trade her later down the line. Where Spencer, I feel like you're probably trying to move him this offseason or maybe at the deadline unless you're keeping the team together and just running through it. I got one last question. I just thought of kind of on the spot here that I think might be moderately difficult to answer. If an executive, if a deal was on the verge of being done, Karis Avert or Nicholas Claxton, who are you keeping for this title window? 
Oh, um, I'm probably going Harris. I think like as good as Nick Claxton has shown us peaks, he's still a rookie and he's mm-hmm. not shown anything where we know that he can help a championship team where I think there's at least some evidence that Karras can help you win a playoff game where I'm not saying I don't think Claxton probably could have the higher ceiling and end up being the better player. But I think for the championship window and based off everything we saw so far, it seems like the Nets are all in. I mean, they they dropped Kenny Atkinson because they didn't think he'd be the championship level head coach. I don't think they'd be unwilling to move a rookie. That's fair. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to echo that. Uh the thing about Claxton is until he really learns how to shoot, he's probably a center, which means he's going to be either maybe the backup center in sort of spot minutes. But, you know, I don't even know how much you can rely on that in the playoffs. And Karras should arguably start in a playoff game. So yeah. I think just looking at that alone, that that pretty much That's tells fair. you what you need to know. All right, I'm telling Nest Twitter you guys are trading Nicholas Claxton and Hyper. No, come on. Do it. Matt, <laughs> Matt, I need something to entertain me the rest of the week. <laughs> Please do it. Tell him. Tell him Matt Brooks doesn't want him. <laughs> All right, Matt, you got to hit us with a hard question because no one just hit us. So you, you're on You're on the spot. Oh, a hard question about Karis Levert. Uh, oh, boy. Let me see. Um... Boy, this is you put you are putting me on the spot. Oh, Jack, can you help your boy out right here? You yeah, help me out. Campbell, it off to me. What have I got with Karis Levert? Who do you think uh, another team would want more? I, I think in uh, over is it Spencer or is it Karis? You know, I think that if we're going twenty nine other teams around right. the NBA and they could go, you get. Either player, you know, don't worry about what you're putting in for the deal. You get to pick who you can add to your team. I know uh, Matt mentioned uh, a couple of teams where he would fit in seamlessly on, but 29 other teams across the NBA, they add it to them, whether it be the Lakers or whether it be the, the Wizards. Are they taking Spencer or are they taking Karras? Um, I'm not going to take into consideration fit and, like, who needs a guard, who needs a wing yep. for that. If for this question. I'm just going to go straight up Karis LeVert. I think he's just a lot more dynamic than Spencer Dinwiddie and has a higher ceiling. Uh, I'm going Dinwiddie. I've got to stay Ooh. on brand. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go Dinwiddie. I think Karis LeVert has a better ceiling. Uh, I think he's harder to fit. I think Dinwiddie is a little more malleable, and that stuff matters. So uh, yeah, that's what I'm going with right now. I think really, I know you said not to worry about fit. Really, between like, is it a veteran team or a rebuilding team? I think a veteran team maybe has more interest in care in Spencer because they already know what he is and what he can provide off the bench. Where a rebuilding team looks at the intrigue of Karis Levert and how high, how good can this guy really be? So I think if you're just looking for the best value in a trade and what the guy can become. And I'm going to bring contracts into this again because that's a big deal when you're making a trade. You're pretty much saying you're going to have to pay Spencer big money after 21. So I'd go with Karis LeVert here. Yeah, I was thinking about this more of just like as a team that, I mean, it just kind of depends on. Yeah, I was thinking more of like, I guess, a team that's like looking to win now and like less of like, I don't know, like hoping that a guy pans out. I, I don't know, but. So maybe yeah, I would Spencer has that. more value <laughs> in the in the veteran situation. I think it also matters in the trade. Like if you're trading for a star, there's a higher chance that that team's going to look for, quote-unquote, hope for their franchise. So I think Karis LeVert makes a little bit more sense. But if you're trading with a veteran team and you're exchanging parts and you're bringing, like, an upgrade or a role player, I think Spencer Dinwiddie might be more intriguing in helping that team win now. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it just – it it basically – the lesson of this is it depends upon who that you'd be trading with. But Fit um, always matters. As yeah. hard as it is to remove it from any question, fit is honestly – 
maybe the second most important thing after talent in the NBA. For sure, because I don't think yep. that much separates those two, as much as people make it out to be. Um, so I, I think just having a guy a little more malleable. I'm going to stick with Dinwiddie. Let's, let's be fun about it. All right, Matt. It didn't get you out of your question, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Man, I don't know. What's the best possible fit for for uh, for Levert? Like, pick a team. Oh, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna steal your one, and I really like Denver, uh, Matt. I, I think that you know he, him as an upgraded Gary Harris, as much as uh, Nolan would prefer to have Gary Harris than Karis Levert. We all know that. Um, <laughs> just throwing him under the bus. Why not? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm tens of thousands of miles away, so you can't really do anything about it. Uh, in general, <laughs> uh, I just think I just think Karis. You know, just fits in terms of on both sides of the floor. I think Jokic and Karras in a pick-and-roll combo. Boy, oh boy, that makes me salivate. I think, and, and I think that would make them, elevate them to being maybe a true championship contender. I think they would have their, uh, a core of three young stars on the rise. You know, the, the age profile fits as well. Karras is like 25 years old. I think that uh, it would be tantalizing. Oh, man. I was trying to think of a hipster pick while you're giving your reasoning as to why it would not be Denver. But <laughs> I, I, I can just... I, Denver does make a lot of sense. Another, I'm going to throw a team out there that, um, just for my own personal reasons, I would like to see. Say Lloyd, Peace, Lloyd Pierce sorry, gets fired and Kenny Atkinson lands that gig. I kind of am intrigued by the idea of Karis Avert with uh, Trey Young and whatever they have going on Ooh. with John Collins in their rebuild. Like, potentially, as, like, a different end of the spectrum, we, we talk about a contender, but here's a team on the rise that, like, might be intriguing. I'm going to go Atlanta, too. That's my hipster just, pick. Just so Kenny can bench him in the overtime? No. Um, <laughs> I, I think Denver is a great choice, just being a little different. I think Philadelphia would be intriguing. Like, they obviously really need guard play. Karis be able to have the ball in his hands a good amount, running off pick and rolls with Joel Embiid. And I think you look at maybe even, like, a team like Dallas obviously wouldn't have the ball in his hands a tons, but they could definitely use another ISO score. So I think there's a couple intriguing spots for him. It just depends really how his skill set develops. And I guess that'll lead me to my last question. What's Karis Avert's highest ceiling? And you can give it to the ceiling at what's his highest ceiling if he stays on the nets, and then what's his highest ceiling if he goes to a situation where maybe he's the two option? Uh, yeah, I'll throw some stats. I'll go ahead, Matt. Sorry, I was going to say I do have to hop off right now. I'm sorry about this, you guys, to do this like this. It's all good, Matty boy. You've provided plenty of content. Even though if you can't think of questions on the spot, you'll get better. You'll get better. You'll, give us the plug, mate. Give us the plug of uh, the new stuff you got popping. That's uh, on Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, right now, just started my own uh, podcast internet series called Basketball and More with Matt Brooks. It's starring the man of the hour on this uh, on this podcast with Nolan Jensen, as well as my Nets Daily, uh, I guess like coworker Billy Reinhardt. So go check that out. You can find basketball and more on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud as well. And you can also find it on my Periscope channel. So that's my plug. There we go. Bang, bang. Appreciate Lovely. it. Oh, take care, man. Catch you later, Matt. All right, Nolan. This didn't get you out of the question, though. Ah, perfect. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll throw some stats out. Um, Obviously, you know, we expect the Karis Avert to maybe make that next step into semi-stardom. Maybe make an all-star appearance, represent Brooklyn and Chicago uh, last February. Didn't happen that way. Um, I think he can, honest to God, in the right situation, be a 22-5-5 on 45-37-78 like splits. I think that's Karis Avert's peak production, in my humble opinion. 
I like that. I think that's a fair number, too. I think especially with the shooting splits, the versatility you mentioned, you know, the 22 points, but also the five rebounds and the five assists. Mm. I think the only thing is, like, where does he become? I think he can become a plus defender. I don't know if he'll ever make an all-defensive team. I think that's a possibility, but I think he'll be able to be a guy on your team where you feel confident in him going on the other team's best offensive player. Not that he's going to lock them down, but at least make it somewhat difficult for them. Right. Jack, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm pretty close with that. You know, if, if we're talking about the range where you know, we sort of spoke about Karras before, I think he can push into the, you know, it's a pretty stacked position these days, the shooting guard position. You know, I think he, can, he could jump into the sort of range of a, of a holiday, maybe even, you know, an Oladipo. Probably not push, you know, Harden or Beal. I don't think he has that total level of potential, but I think he can be one of the five, six or seven best shooting guards in the league. You know, a guy that is as well-rounded and as unique as those guys as well. He has a, a very unique skill set. And, you know, 22, 5, and 5, I think, is, you know, something that I think is certainly attainable. Uh, I think for him, it's about efficiency as well and consistency. Can he can he do 22, 5, and 5 for a whole season? I would much rather that than sort of, you know, 34 one night and, and 10 the other night and, and you know, mm-hmm. poor shooting uh, and inconsistency. I think for me is... You know, that's the ultimate version of Karis Avert where you know, it was probably we saw a, a version of it towards the end of the season from like February onwards, like I sort of alluded to, where he was just like lights out night after night after night. And you could always depend on him. You know, if you can depend on him night after night after night, that's where he gets into the range with, with Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, Donovan Mitchell, Oladipo, Jalen Brown, these sort of guys. But right now he's just not, he hasn't put it all together yet, but he certainly has the, has the tools to do so. Yeah, I think the consistency has kind of been the echo of the podcast is like Kenny can do things consistently and provide that value for maybe more than a month span, which we saw at the end of the season. It's can you do it over the cross of a whole season? And I don't think anyone expects it for, you know, 82 games or 70 games or whatever, how many he plays, but at least 75% of the time you want to play at that level that we expect from you. Everybody's going to have bad games. Everyone's going to have bad stretches, but it's just kind of maintaining that floor, something that Jack always likes to point out. But, guys, I think that does it on Karis Avert. Nolan, pleasure having you on. Jack, always a pleasure talking hoops with you. And you can find the show on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.